0: The Team Never Quit Podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. Whether you're an active duty service member, veteran, DOD, civilian, or military family member, you can join Navy Federal. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Team Radio.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell.
2: It's better. I mean, if you spread the word to people who don't get to experience that and then educating them, that's how you gain support, you know, in what you do. For us, that we're at our police department, we're very big at that in inviting the community into our home, not, you know, our police station, but in our homes to see exactly what we do. So it's not a mystery. You know, from their perspective, all they see is the police officer driving around in their car with a pissed off look on their face. You know, and they're like, look, typical, typical. Look at that police officer. Doesn't even wave, doesn't... But that police officer have a million things going on in that car at that moment. You know what I mean? So we invite them in our police department. We introduce them to our police officers, and they find out that, you know what? They're actually pretty normal, (laughs) you know, and very friendly and very outgoing. And most of the guys that that I work with or that I know even in other police departments, it's very much like the military, you know? You take care of business when you gotta take care of business, but most of the time it's just fucking around.
1: <laughs> On this day and age, when you go in, you want to go in to help. I mean, to to be a police officer for the community, and uh, the the way the standards are set, it's, it's hard for somebody to get in there and just pure hate. Right. Usually, the conditions set the tone. After a while, people get j- it's a jaded thing. No oh, matter absolutely. How hard tries.
2: Yeah, but for police officers, much like the military, is what we have to learn to do is adapt to. The, how society is we can't sit there and digging our heels in going well this is how police work is done no guess what it's time to change how police work is done and do it differently we need to focus more on obviously mental health you know getting educated in mental health getting educated in emotional uh what uh instabilities yeah absolutely you know that's what I
1: teach to the law enforcement officers.
2: Yeah, that's and that's, but that's important because that helps you adapt to how we respond to things, you know, and that's the big thing right now is that the way society is, we need to adapt how we do work, not stop doing work or be more aggressive because that's been the two tones. Why should I do anything if I'm just going to get sued or fired, you know, so you know what, I'm not going to back off. But that's not the right attitude because that's not what your mission is. Your mission is to help, you know, that's how it was as the war started to progress later on in the, after the 2010 into the into the teens.
1: And the dynamic itself, the narrative changed. and But you still had repeat. Everybody that was fighting the war had been re- fighting the war since day one. Mm-hmm. And there was a understanding of how it should be or how it was, not how it should be as it started right. to make that shift. We were like pushing hey it's hearts and minds it's hey let's it's let's push out the 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 locals first let's let's win over right the communities that we're patrolling so we can get out of here
0: or we don't have to be here
2: right absolutely because if you don't adapt to how things need to progress you're going to just get stuck in the rut like everybody else has you know go backwards well yeah totally for sure you know
1: i mean because you got to eventually hand it over to the neighborhood.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: That's what we do over there. We have to give back to them, and they kind of take it back and start policing themselves. And then we're just kind of standing out on the skirt to where you don't even need them anymore. Yeah, we really don't need to be here. Hopefully. I mean, that'd be ideal.
0: Hey, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. Excited to be back. What up, guys? Hi. Mm -hmm. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Is that a new vest? It is a new vest. Do you like it or no? (laughs) It has a vest on. You see that? It's not a sweater vest, at least. I like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep rocking. No, I was right. good
1: with that plaid, though. Yeah, thank you.
0: You're welcome. I was wearing that
1: same thing. I think last time we filmed, You probably took it from me anyway. Yeah,
0: I like your style. So, <laughs> like your moves. Like your moves. <laughs> like your moves. Like your moves. Hey, we got a Patreon question of the day coming from Ashley. Who is your favorite A-team character and why? Oh, Murdoch.
1: He just had I mean, just absolutely amazing in what he does. which is just comfortable in his skin and just flex left or right. Just was a nut they always kept my attention everybody's gonna say B.A. Barakas but that did not count yes it does Mr. T. B. A. B.A. right yeah 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 I mean <laughs> I, uh, both of them they did a good job if you went I was gonna go with B.A. Till you said that <laughs> you gotta go man I go like with the him like, yeah, they don't like to fly you know it, it, uh, hard dude on the edge all the time Plus, I'm a big Mr. T fan, dude. Growing up, and that's uh, well, that was a thing. Yeah, that, that was the first guy that popped into my head when you said A Team. I mean, you got Murdoch, face, Hannibal, B. A. B. A. Hannibal. So, I mean, what, all, what yep. you got?
2: I'd have to say uh, B. A. B. A. I think it's everybody. You think A Team? That's the first person you think yeah, of, that's band, right? It was a van.
1: Yeah, the the, the the paint version of like Starsky and Hutch, but it was on the van.
2: <laughs> you say A Team? The only thing I think of is that van just flying yeah. in the air, you know, like jumping over.
1: Who didn't want to jump? Thank you, right? <laughs> back then, man, the shows, were it wasn't so CGI or so sci-fi that what they were doing, you're like, oh, let me get that done one day. Right. And uh, nowadays, it's so crazy. You watch on TV, you're like, I can't even keep up with that. Yeah, he jumped in a condo line van. <laughs> right? With eight inch rims. And pulled it up, right? <laughs> Probably some boom in the back.
0: There How you about go. you? Ashley, I, you know what? I've never seen it. Yep, I know. I know. Get on to me. Add to the list. Oh, there's a list. There's a list. Have, have you seen the, the new A list? team? I think so. You think, think so? I'm pretty sure. Listen, here's the deal. I'm pretty sure. I've seen a lot of movies, but I'm not one really? of those Because Every that, time we name one, you hadn't seen it. I'm not good at memorizing it. Maybe one day we'll lines. get to a movie you have seen The Mask. Which, Which one? Which one? Jim Carrey. Okay. All right. That's the only Is new there movie. Is mask? It's the only movie.
1: Oh, yeah. It had Sharon and Sam yes, Elliott.
2: Yeah, Okay, right. Man. I, right. His, I yeah. the kid's name that, did, that played uh, the... Rodney uh, Dennis, Stokes? right? Rocky Dennis. Rocky Dennis. Yeah, that was the kid's name, right? Yeah. That was yeah. the name right. of Eric Stoltz, dude. Good pool. Eric Stoltz. what? It?
1: Right? Played him?
2: Yeah, he played Eric Stoltz, yeah. 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 mm-hmm. Well, Ashley, thanks for the question.
0: Thanks for putting me on the line there. You fell off again. Fell Another off. Another failure in <laughs> the... We need a
1: <laughs> whiteboard up here with... Every time I fail. <laughs> with Andrew Fills. And just put a mark, a check mark. No, actually, a movie that you need to watch, and when you watch it, we'll we'll check it off. We'll give you a check, <laughs> give Maybe a sticker star. by your name, <laughs> yeah, something please. like that. I need stickers. Gold star. There'll be go. no demerits in this classroom.
0: <laughs> we have PE every day. Everybody's a winner. Hey, if you want to ask a Patreon question, join us Patreon.com/teamneverquit. You get exclusive access to the show, some cool merch. We even put your credits on YouTube, which is kind of cool. You help us produce this show.
1: You want to know a twin thing? You want, to, you want to hear a yeah, eerie it. twin thing this happened to us this morning I'm driving from my house over to here and I called Dan Crenshaw to check in to see how everything's going and as he began, he's like hey what's up bro he's like hang on your brother's calling and he was calling at the exact same time standing at his house and he same merged, call same call he merged the calls we all three we all three chatted up and he's like Marcus was like yeah oh, it was a ESP thing
0: same time same time man I call him up <laughs> see how he's doing that's funny all right guys we got a great guest in store sam bonilla police officer with 34 years of experience program coordinator for the suburban law enforcement academy an attorney with 16 years of experience master firearms instructor u.s marine during the gulf war sam uses his law enforcement and attorney experience to teach recruits discipline self-sacrifice as well as many other skills welcome to the show sam
2: thank you have you ever read the alchemist yes that's you years ago
0: yeah that's you
1: bro that's impressive Thank you for your service. Yeah, Thank appreciate you it. Thank you continuing to serve. Welcome
2: to the show. Happy to be here.
1: we got a file on you and everything. Because you, oh, you came in. Jeez. You came in. Yeah. Class, it says classified on too. I didn't even.
2: I saw that. Was the last yeah, the you nice. had
1: something with your name when it said classified. Right.
2: By. I'd never seen it. I
1: think the printer might have been running so, I'm sure somebody has seen it, but I haven't. It's
2: not like <laughs> red. But, uh, hi, Chicago, right?
1: You're from Chicago? Suburbs. Suburbs. Chicago, yeah. It's snowing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't snow here. It,
2: it was snowing. Did y'all it a was, white Christmas? It was a white Christmas. Oh, cool! We don't know what that is. It so was nasty. We have a. We have, what do we have? Two years ago. It's only a pretty on Christmas. Christmas, Christmas. Year?
1: After that, it, it's not good. We laid down Christmas Eve. Kids sat down and say their prayers. Or like, and we'd like it to snow. We woke up next morning and it was snowing here on the ground. Wow! Oh yeah! I don't remember that. It was in. Was that it 15? A, that might have been. Yeah, because it was the we were in last year. We went year, to in 2021. Am well, I bringing up old stuff? Is that what you're saying? You know about when we were kids? When we were no, kids? no, no. Here. The 2015. I was living here. I had a he video said two it. years ago, didn't he? That's a few years ago. <laughs> two
0: few. Sam, a little more than six. Harvard's on the phone. they calling again, man. They want to I got my jacket back. right here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing my Harvard jacket. Are you? Sam, why don't you take us back? How would you get your start in law enforcement?
1: Um, now, okay. go back Further than that, I mean, okay. let's, let's, let's start from the
2: beginning. Beginning.
0: Where'd, yeah, where did it
1: start? If,
2: okay, so I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. That's where I grew up. And then
1: Brooke, Brooklyn and Chicago people don't like each other, do they?
2: Uh, no, I think it's fine. i never heard anything like that. That's I've terrific. never heard we of it We give each either. other crap, but that's it. You Over say, the food. You say the food. We say Houston. You say what? There's a street in Manhattan. It's Houston. Spelled Houston, but it's Houston Street. That is we absolutely were, correct. Ha ha. I know where
1: that is. We were driving, and the GPS said Houston Street. Mm-hmm. And my, my buddy was like, oh, the fuck does so much to say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, sorry, go it ahead. Spelled? Houston? It's exactly the same, Houston. It's capitalized, too. When, uh... <laughs> How old were you when you left New York?
2: So, well, we left the city in Brooklyn, and we moved out to Long Island when I was 12. So, it, I sort of had my high school years out in Long Island. What was it was like growing up in Brooklyn?
1: Because down here, and where we come from, Brooklyn's like, you know, it's like the toughest place on the planet.
2: Um... Dude, you look you, like
1: a tough guy, so it's obviously true. I statement. am a tough guy. I, yeah, I, but
2: I that. <laughs> there are some uh,
1: myths that roll down from, from up there. But, but yeah. down here, when you hear those certain boroughs, you're like, oh, okay, probably a tough guy.
2: Right. They, um, so the thing is, is, you don't realize how bad an environment is when you grow up in that environment, you sure. know, mm-hmm. until you look back or you meet other people that say, oh my God, you're from here. You know, so even the school that I went to in Long Island, I thought it was normal. But when I told people, like the high school that I went to, everybody was like, you went to that high school, that was pretty bad. And I was like, I didn't think it was that bad when I was there. It was fine. So I think it's just the environment that you grew up in that you're used to, you don't really realize it until um, somebody else mentions it or until you go back and go, holy shit, I grew up here, you know.
1: <laughs> so Yeah, I guess it's only uh, a tough environment if you ain't tough enough to be there. Right. Because we have so, a great right. time, if you grow up there and have a great time, it means you, you're tough enough to be in there. Absolutely. Have you right. been in Texas before or is it your first time?
2: This, uh, Dallas. Dallas. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a city. I went to Dallas, not yeah. the country. You know, we don't ride horses yeah. to work down here. So, yeah. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> not necessarily true. That's true. We do but actually sometimes. It, it,
2: it, Texas is on my list of places to explore more. So, I do well, I hope you put a lot of time on the calendar because it's, it's going to take, yeah. take a bit.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. We got a lot, lot out yeah. here. All right. So, Brooklyn, bro- siblings, brothers, sisters? I have a little sister. Mm-hmm. So, um, she is, she was. Six years younger than me, so we're quite apart, but we're, we're very close. We um, she actually lives out by me now. Um, and then, growing up, we were le- what we call latchkey kids—stayed at home, yeah. you know, while both our parents worked. And you know, so we, we were very independent. I would actually come home from school at a very young age, pick up my sister, who was an infant then, and up to our little apartment and lock the door and wait for mom to get home you know eat a snack watch cartoons on <laughs> afternoon cartoons we all the used best. to watch and, i yeah. forgot
1: they called us that last yeah, I I I yeah. a kids you watch
2: your afternoon cartoons till mom got home and reruns of the brady bunch gilligan's island and the good stuff you know it's the Hoops good stuff right stuff like and that. stuff like that so. so
1: uh we'll get into it but you're um police officer former marine former marine former prior which one do you prefer
2: uh former uh, former
1: there's no such thing you're a marine yeah Okay. Marine. Military history, background and family? Or did you start it? Was no. Dad, grandfather, anybody? I have
2: um, I have an aunt that was in the military. Um, I have uncle, Air Force, um, I have another uncle that was a Marine. Oh yeah, you got it then, then. So, 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 so we had, you, so and you think I have we, another uncle that was in the army, he was a out in Fort Knox as a tank commander, so it was
1: so it's all across. That's kind of with our family. It's not yeah, just one branch. your so daughters mean. are Marine, too. All right. Yes. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. How was that? How'd you, well, how'd you pick Marine Corps? How'd I pick Marine Corps? So I initially went to the Army recruiter um, because I wanted to go my junior year. And since the boot camp was shorter, they would, Well, we always heard that they would take you over the summer, you come back, finish your senior year, and then you could go. They didn't really care for the Army recruiter too much. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the Marines. I always wanted there to be a Marine. They got better uniforms. They did. more they badass. Did, they uniforms. You know, uniforms. so, um, you know, and here's the thing. Navy shields weren't mainstream yet, you know, at, at the time, you know. They were out there, but it wasn't very mainstream like it is today, so that wasn't even a thought right. in my head at all. So I said, like, i go into the Marine Corps, you know, and they have really good uniforms. Well, but- I, I, I don't know. I, even being a Navy— seal you had i just kind of just ripping on you guys you still had to wear those uniforms before you became a navy seal oh yeah that's a true statement <laughs> yeah <said>, there's <laughs> a burn party after a few yeah burn party bus, bus, yeah, yeah. so yeah, like yeah. i said oh i don't know that's that's probably the first challenge of becoming a navy seal is having the humility to wear the navy I'm, well you know, that's the funny part <laughs> sometimes uh,
1: you'll keep we had to keep a set of whites but it's usually the ones that got issued and there were nights when we were out doing uh, road, uh, for trips, training trips, mm-hmm. and, like, and the chief's like, all right, everybody, everybody put your whites on. And guys would try to put those things on from boot camp, and they're 200 pounds heavier right, probably, right? right hey, hey, I hey. mean, buttons would break <laughs> in. Got, there's no rank on it, and you're just walking around. It was the funniest. I mean, sometimes we'd dress up in our dive skins and go out. It was, it was a free-for-all, but, yeah, the, uh, our uniforms are dead. The, the funniest part when I got in, because the, the dungarees and everything are blue, I'm like, "What yeah. do you fall in water? right. Why wouldn't you want oh, it to be any other color? the most hysterical thing I saw <laughs> on <So, laughs> oh, Navy blue. was blue camis. The blue camis. The blue camis. Like, the, they got rid of those. I was like, are you kidding oh, me? They like, you kidding oh,
2: they're gone Oh, yeah. They like, took, but, they, took they took ours. They took ours.
1: put blue camis on, on a sh- Great ship? I know. I, I thought
2: it was hysterical. I was like, are you kidding? You're gone. I don't know who <laughs> thought that. I mean, if you hit the water, they turn color like a hyper shirt.
1: Like Whoever thought that through didn't. did didn't. And then I can't imagine how much money it cost to outfit the entire
2: Navy. Anyway.
1: So you so you joined the Marine Corps at eighteen.
2: Joined the Marine Corps at seventeen. 17, yes, seventeen. Yeah, and I left probably less than a month after graduating high school, um, and just a few days after turning eighteen. I mean,
1: you fought in the Gulf War too.
2: How long? I was well. They put me on a ship. I wouldn't say. <laughs> I was on, so here's the thing. I know
1: you're so, on the force all too. right? Yes. I So I, I saw am, that. And I was like, okay. So here I I'm hear trying that.
2: to like. I'm ripping on the Navy, and here I end up getting stuck on a Navy. You were longer than we had. I yes, <laughs> <Right? I> had, <laughs> yes. They put me on an aircraft carrier, and I was on like, the forestall. Oh, yeah. For for everybody that don't doesn't know what that means is that give them a history lesson.
1: Yeah, that ship took up took heavies. It damn near burnt all the way down to the keel, right? Because Several times on that boat. Um, yeah, yeah. A yeah. times, they right.
2: said it was. They the nickname was the Forest Fire. was um, pretty good. Yeah, because that thing always caught fire. Like even when I was serving on it, a thing lit on fire too, and you know, the biggest things were the weapons that were on board that we were like, Oh man, we're gonna have to go back and unload all these weapons when when this ship burns down, you know, because we they would constantly show us the videos, you know. So when you're on the ship, they only you, you have to watch what they're showing you, you know, uh, Armed Forces Network, you uh, know. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, yeah. so you're watching what? Top Gun over and over again, you're watching, you know, Full Metal Jacket over and over again, you know at least that. they showed you Full Metal Jacket. Right, right. So they're showing you the same moves. Well also they would show you the documentary of when the ship caught fire in yeah. the yeah. Gulf of Tonkin, the dude, Tonkin man, Gulf, or, you know, in Vietnam. The one that McCain got hurt yeah. on. Yeah. So, um, and they constantly show that. And then, so, yeah, that thing was, it was the oldest, at the time, it was the oldest carrier in the fleet. Still diesel. Still. It wasn't nuclear. Wow. Yeah. I wonder how much
1: diesel you got to pump into that thing to run so, it around the world. I can't imagine. That was a big imagine old being on the sub- of them diesel submarines. Being down-depth. Right, right. We just ran out of, out of fuel. Load <laughs> tanks. Yeah. So, yeah,
2: so it, was, it was interesting getting put on an aircraft carrier. Um, but here's, in hindsight, thinking about it, because when the Gulf War broke out, they would ask all the Marines, hey, who wants to go to the fleet in case they need you, you know, as bodies, as this thing escalates? Obviously, it turned into not being much after, you know, they surrendered right away. But so of course we all were like, Yeah, we're gonna go. I mean, that's what Marines do, you know, yeah. like we want to be where the action is. They said, well, since everybody wants to go, nobody's gonna go. So you're gonna stay on the ship. So we were like, Oh, this is bullshit. I'm on a nave ship. I need to be out on you know, complained. After years ago, and then I heard some of the stories of the guys just sitting around in the desert Doing nothing. Eating MREs. Eating MREs. Oh.
1: Living... Sandstorms. Scorpions running it.
2: around yeah. everywhere. Look, I, in hindsight, I had pretty damn good. We had air conditioning. We had heat. We had three square meals a day. Navy chow is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah especially you on the boat. Yeah. You look at the water. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ports, so look, I, 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 after that, I was like, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. And then not only that, if you think of it historically... That is the core mission of the Marine Corps, which yeah, to be yeah. On the I'm ship. started like that man, right? you know what I mean, so historically i mean i'm I'm pretty proud of what I did, you know in that sense No, hey, thank you for your service yeah how,
1: so, so what six four or six years, how long were you in? I did four, four years, and then straight out back
2: yeah, so i did I did four years um I went to re-enlist um and they the reenlistment office said well. You know, you have great ASRAB scores. You could pretty much do whatever you want. You could transfer over to, but we don't have anything open right now because it's right after the Gulf War. We activated so many reservists, there's nothing available. However, if you re enlist as an 0311 infantryman, which is what my ultimate MOS was, um, you re enlist in that, and as soon as we get something open, we'll get it to you. I was like,
1: hmm. What will I do till then? <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah.
2: Uh, you know what? I'll go ahead and, and get out then. And so, so that's when I got out. Plus, you know, I had a family by then. You know, um, Samantha was already born. My, my daughter oh, Samantha was already born. Oh, wow, you are one of those
1: guys. Huh? Yeah. Ooh.
2: Um, so I was like, I don't want to keep getting deployed. I mean, I kept getting deployed over and over again. I was like, you know, I was like, okay, I'm, time to be more stable, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so I got out. So I got out. Um, we initially moved to Tennessee. Um, I actually went to school during the day, full time, and then uh, worked at a gas station at night to pay the bills and really yeah mm-hmm. I, I managed we're at tennessee at knoxville okay
1: that's about as 180 out from brooklyn as you can get
2: right um <laughs> so i didn't last there very long so we spent a couple years there um i was not comfortable in in that now as in you know late, many years later love it you know it was, well, listen, tell at me at something the time, about
1: working at a gas station i wouldn't know
2: yeah Oh, what kind of gas station No. what kind of gas station was it it's it, was, chill. it was I a 66 just like a chill like yeah, you think it, like, it would yeah. be yeah alright yeah, well I so they always be like don't step out from behind the counter it's dangerous you know stuff like that but I get so fired up, like, people, like, do these drive off? They steal the gas, you know? Oh, like, wah well, oh, yeah. I'm, and here I am fucking running down... Oh, sorry. Running down the <laughs> oh, road, good. chasing after people who just stole gas, you know? And, like, violating every rule about stepping out from behind the counter, like, trying to chase them down. You've That's st- probably
1: the big thing to do in Knoxville. It's like, pump, go. When you run after them, they go in behind you and steal all the beer. <laughs> I'm not saying I've seen that happen. I'm <laughs> saying...
2: Well, yeah, so... Maybe a possibility. And then, um, after that, I, um... My dad had, uh, was like, hey, you know, he had just, my family, the rest of my family, my mom, my dad, my sister, my dad, his job just transferred him out to Chicago, so he's like, you know, it's really nice here, you guys should come up here, you know, it'll be, you know, they got everything, they got the suburbs, you got the city right here, it's it's more like home, like, you know, New York, so, we're like, okay, so he packed up, moved to Chicago, and then, um. And that's where I've been ever since. Since then, my mom and dad have gotten transferred to Minnesota, and then now they're in Florida, now retired. So oh, nice. Yeah, there you go. I'm not going to follow them all over the country, but yeah, that's how we ended up in Illinois.
1: All right. So, just just, just to recap before we get into the, the meat and potatoes of, of this, this episode here. So, because I like what I like to do is I like to put everything in relative terms because people can appreciate somebody who's accomplished what you've accomplished. You come from the exact same places that we do. Mm-hmm, born, totally. Born in Brooklyn, raised in Long Island joined the Marine Corps at 17, fought in the Gulf War, got out, worked in a gas station. I want people to understand that out there that that happens, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because where you land is not necessarily where you're going to end up. Absolutely. And then after you finished school, went to Chicago, is this when you became a police officer?
2: Yes. Okay. When I went to school full-time, my my schooling was in accounting. So... When I went to God, Chicago. that's terrible. Mm, I know. Yeah. It, you're just a, a Special individual. Absolutely. Marine. You're you Marine, no First idea. of all, it's hard to be a Marine. So Second of all, you're a Marine on a Navy
1: boat. Yeah. And then now
2: you're going to count. So when I went back to school.
1: Is that all they had in that too?
2: No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i got nothing for you in the Marine Corps. I'm some accounting. <laughs> Is that all we got? Yeah.
2: So I go there and they're saying, you know, I take, you have to take like an entry test. And mm-hmm. I like scored the worst in like math you know and i'm like oh, now what am i gonna do Cause and you I took basic math in you know in school that's what we had to take was basic mathematics you know what time is it oh three o'clock okay um you passed you're out you know so i had no mathematics skills whatsoever so they said you have to take all the remedial classes which don't even count towards your yeah we, we were in that boat yeah so i'm like Fuck, you know, god damn it so i was like all right whatever i have to do you know i'll do it and i took all those remedial classes starting out from the basics All the way to advanced calculus. So I was like, again, looking back on, I don't know how I did that, but um, ultimately I did. You you think being a
1: Marine helped you do that? Absolutely. I would would guarantee your answer is yes. Okay.
2: Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you this. Being a Marine is probably the first time in my life that I actually, look, I I played sports in high school. I I played baseball when I was younger in, you know, PV leagues or whatever. I played one year of football and I sucked at it. I couldn't accomplish anything because I didn't really, I was in an environment that I didn't know, and I didn't have the ability to, or the guidance to get me where I wanted to be. So I stopped doing it. I I quit, you know? The Marine Corps was actually, the, and schooling, I hated school. I sucked at school. I barely graduated high school, barely. You. I look back at my high school transcript, and I'm like, D, 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 F, D. I think I'm the only person in the world that ever failed driver's ed, you know? So I'm like... Nice job. Uh, nice job. Yeah. Let's put out evolution right there. There you go. Yeah. so um, Write that down. Write that down. <laughs> Where's our wall? Right. So yeah. I'm like, it was because I was not into it. I was into the Marine Corps. So therefore, the Marine Corps was the first thing that I ever, like, in my life succeeded at, you know, and did well. You know, so I think from then and that on. that showed you
1: how good it feels to succeed,
2: right? Absolutely. Okay. From then on, it was, you never stop pushing for what you want. You know, yeah, it sucks at the time, but it's like, you know, it's like jumping in a, a rapid river. You know, the only way you're going to get out is swimming out. You can't give up; you'll die. So you have to keep swimming to get out of there. Good so, analogy. You know, so that's how I looked at it: was you just jump in with both feet, and then you figure out how to get out of there eventually. And and that's how I pretty much handled the rest of, you know, some of the accomplishments that I've had in my life. You know, it was just jumping that's how you with graduate with an accounting
1: degree too. Did you graduate well, with an accounting degree? I didn't.
2: Okay. So, what happened was, I, I started out with my associate's degree in accounting. Um, when we moved to Illinois, I actually got an accounting job, like an accounts receivable in a bakery supply company. So, like you see
1: on TV with the cubicles and the.
2: Yeah, yep. Awesome. That was me in a cubicle. Um, and I thought one day I saw an ad in the paper for a police officer. Um, in the paper? In the newspaper. Back then, we looked at newspapers for jobs. That the 1900s. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 I remember. Um, one, I saw, one ads, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? It looks like it'll be fun. Let me see what happens. You know, I have a job, decent job. I'm not too worried about it, you know, if I don't get it. So I applied and um, eventually got the call to, to be on the police department and then started the academy. So that's how my law enforcement career got started.
1: Now, how so, long ago was that?
2: 1997. When I started
1: we were talking about the other day that growing up it wasn't that we were bad math. I mean we got it done it's the same way with you because now there's things that I, I I couldn't be interested in them when I was at a certain age no matter how hard I tried right And it's just, it's kind of a shift. It's like, all right, it's not time for that part, right? We're going to do this part first, and that's going to build that block. And then when we come back around on some of the stuff that we're learning now, not only do we learn it, but we like it. Yes, absolutely. And it just kind of consumes it because there was something back in the beginning that we had to learn first to open that door. Mm-hmm. And those little steps that you go through, like working at the gas station, those are like holding patterns to you going into the next, into Absolutely. the next one. That, that.
2: Yeah, but you got to be willing to do those things, Cor- right. In that's order to move to the next level. Correct. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are like, I wouldn't work at no gas station. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But you, know what? you know, I, I have bullshit. a family that I have to take care of, and it's the only job that'll allow me to work there in the evening while I go to school during the day. Guess what? That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, irregardless of you know. Regardless of the stigma that comes with that, you know, or you know, and it was it's things that you have to do to get to where you want to be. You know, and you can't just not do it. It's the same
1: as the stigma that goes with people who use regardless, as opposed to irregardless. I think irregardless is a fantastic I, word I, I've heard that doesn't I, even exist. I, that's I'm why like, I said that. I said well, regardless. I like use it regardless, regardless, all the time, and I, I like it. Okay. <laughs> But that's that's a great when you, especially when you t- the kids that are coming up because you can put them in something. At a certain when they're younger ages, it's it's kind of like running a dog in a horse say, race, and it's just you know it's they can race, but it's just different. And right. if you crush it their spirit in the early parts of it, man, they just won't want to get into anything. Yeah, I would I would add to that. It's just as important for all the active duty folks that are listening to our podcast and even the veterans. Hey, you can you need to take a big old piece of humble pie.
2: Absolutely. If you have to. So I actually did. When I first got to Tennessee, I, I actually went to their uh, the employment office before I started working again. I'm like, hey, I'm here for a job. I got this awesome resume. I drafted this great resume, everything I did in the Marine Corps and everything. So the guy sitting there with me is looking over my stuff. He's like, you know what? This is incredible. This is awesome. You did a lot of good stuff. You, you have accomplished a lot, a lot of commendations. a lot of medals and stuff. That's awesome. That's great. I got nothing for you. That means shit in the real world. I, I, it doesn't mean shit in the real world. That's when I first time I was like, fuck, did I just screw up getting out? I got my family I gotta take care of. Now what do I do? That's when I was like, you know what? I'll go back to school, do what I have to do, and and that's what I did. You know, but you're exactly right. A lot of guys that are in, they get out and they think, I did, you know, I accomplished so much. And they did. But your mission's not over yet. You still have to keep pushing and keep serving whether it's serving yourself, serving others, whatever, you have to keep going um, in order to keep developing yourself and keep moving forward in your journey. Absolutely. I, I, well, I there's tell no I, stop. No, I, no I tell it men, doesn't I tell, stop. Men, I tell men, no men,
1: stop. men and women all the time when you're getting out of the military, it's like, hey, look, you ain't coming out going to be a CEO.
2: Right. Chances
1: of like that is very They tell you
2: that in the military. I mean, they, they tell you, you're not going, there's nobody – Better leader than a marine, you know, and they tell you all that, and you get out and you believe it. Oh, you, you think somebody's standing at the door? Hey, and where you got that? Exactly, right. No, but no, and, no. but that's not how real life is, and a lot of guys get kicked in the balls really when they oh, get out. Oh, that's why everybody that. spirals down that
1: little rabbit hole. Dude. Absolutely, Absolutely. It, it's caused yeah. so many problems. I started telling them, look at the military. No matter how long you're in, is our schooling? Yes. You know, one through twelve, then you go into college four years, and military is actually a, a military science degree, and you can stay in that university. As long as you want. Oh, and you, there's also field trials and experiences. You can go get mm-hmm. those, you know, overseas experiences. You can get into. And when you get out, all of that uh, that you you've learned up until that point is what you're taking into your job. Mm-hmm. So. It, it's like with anything else, if we had some CEO, CEO of a company came, came, join the military, he's like, well, I should be the skipper. I was mm-hmm. the CEO of this company. Why, why right. is that a thing? I'm like, well, I, you know, come mm-hmm. on. <laughs> Get your ass down there and push that broom for a little while. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of guys have a hard time swallowing that pill. They do. You know? And, and it, it does cause a lot of problems. I, I tell a lot of the recruits when they start off that, especially my guys that were in the military, like, hey, I, I respect what you did. You're a new I appreciate guy. appreciate your service. But you're a new guy. You know nothing. Okay. You're starting at ground zero again. Know your yep. place. Don't come here with an ego. Don't come here being cocky because you don't know anything. You don't know what it's like to be on the street. Okay? Hey, your experiences will make you naturally gravitate to the top. Yes, absolutely. It will. If they use those experiences correctly, properly. Correct. If they use those experiences as excuses, which I've seen also, they're not going to get anywhere and they're just going to be grumpy asshole who thinks they're better than everybody yeah and nobody wants that okay your experiences are your experiences that you keep here that's what drives you forward to keep on pushing sure it's that's the same thing like when they come them. out of
1: the university their college experiences so if you're going to share yours it'd be like them telling you about theirs right and just kind of relate it like you just went to different schools and then now you're dropped into the same spot absolutely and everything that when people hear that marine tag there's a lot that comes with that Yes. That's what you never forget. I mean, there's a long line of men and women that have made that respect all the way up to what you are, up to what they walk in, and, if, and when you go in, just like any other combat situation, you're kind of humbled up and ready to rock and roll. All right. So, academy. Now we're now we're now we're into our career. Because right. How long were you in before you went to the law school? You've been in law school. You've been a lawyer for 16 years. So you were in for like eight years.
2: I was um, working, like working as a police officer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I started in 97 and I started law school in 2000.
1: Oh, that was quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How'd you do that?
2: Well, so again, it was my, I see something that I want to do and I'm like, I fall in love with it and then I want to accomplish that. So I would go to court all the time. You know, I'd see all the attorneys there and I'd sit there and kind of like lean back on, I could do that. I could do that, you know? So I did the research and started doing, you know, getting involved, you know, taking the LSAT and, and finding out the schools that I wanted to go to. And then got accepted to DePaul University in Chicago and nice. started doing that. Good school. So, yeah, good school. And I there was a couple of them, but I was like, DePaul has a good basketball team, so let's, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that. You know, any team, any College that has a good sports team. Oh, it's, it's a good so college. Yeah. You oh, know, it's it's good <laughs> that's a it's thing. It's, great. That's, it's that's a sure. great test.
1: You know, they got a good sports team. Right. I don't I mean, care about happy else, there. Right. You know, yes, It's a absolutely. good time. Good right, vibe. Right. Sure.
2: So that's so I ended up going to DePaul, and um, that's where I went to law school. And then I would just go to law school um, in the evening. You know, wait. You know, I would work in the midnight shift at the police department. So I'd, I'd sleep during the day. Get up. Take the train into the city, go to law school, you know, do my classes. Take the train back, and then drive to work. Work my midnight shift, come back home, go to sleep, do it all over again. And study you know, somewhere, a lot. Well, a lot, somewhere study in between take, all that. Well, a lot of times, you know, I was on the train. I'd yeah. either sleep or study on the train on the way in. You know, so.
1: That's the thing when you when you hear the story of when you're sitting there, and I hadn't been through that. It sounds it sounds exhausting and like overwhelming. (laughs) And I'm sure people, that's the reason they don't try and do that. It's like, just study on the train while you're in there. What do you have? Do you have any time to do anything else for yourself? No, that's what you're doing. That is what you're doing for yourself. Right. So when you love it that much, you don't, it's not when you talk about it afterwards. Yeah. The grind is there and it's, we kind of do that naturally. So people understand how much, you know, how hard it is and where you're sitting. That's important. But it's also important to know that it's just doing that same step every day. It's one day. I mean, yesterday's gone, tomorrow. Absolutely. Right? right. So you just you're putting out for one whole day, rest up. And that that cycle that we put ourselves on with the clock, the the sleep at a certain time, up at a certain time. At certain ages you can switch that. Mm-hmm. And we we do it in the military all the time. Absolutely. And and it's so not healthy.
2: It's not Yeah, but that's why you do
1: it at, at those ages, right? Cuz right. you can right. you can take it.
2: You know, the only re- the only regret in all of that that I do have is the spending time with the family is that because a lot that gets sacrificed a lot Mm -hmm. when you're doing those things you know um and it's not just the lack of spending time with the family but it's also the stress of going through all that you know there were some stressful times there were times where i didn't get a lot of sleep you know and then i was just grumpy dad who didn't get enough sleep and needs to study and do whatever you know that's not good for the kids, obviously, you know, and obviously, in hindsight, you think about that, and...
1: All you got to do is break open a law book, start reading them, and they'd fall asleep, right? Right, yeah. Uh, yeah okay, so. So. <laughs> like, come here, dad's got to study. Mm-hmm,
2: right. <laughs> you know, but I mean, wait, wait, I, at the time, you're thinking, I'm doing the best that I can, you know? Ultimately, this is going to pay off for all of us. It's going to pay off for me, it's going to pay off for you guys, and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be good. And that's my thought then. Still good intentions, you know, but, um, but looking back, I... I Probably could have done better as you know, spending time with the family and stuff like that, and doing more. Don't things do that you. too, yeah, to yourself. Everyone says really that. I, I know. We all
1: say that. I mean, that's a sure, but
2: yeah. But I look but back and I see how messed them. up my kids are now. But well, no, I'm I was kidding, didn't I? 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 You know, like, we talked about it. it turned out exactly. It's all that hard
1: work. You're doing it for the family, right? Right. That, so you said earlier. That was, a, it's kind of a double-edged sword having a law degree, being a police officer. Because yeah, did you come off the line? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, there. no, go ahead. Did you come off the line once you became the, a lawyer, or did you stay on? No, I yeah, no. It's Well, becoming. so what
2: I did was, when I passed a bar exam in Illinois and became a lawyer, I actually left uh, police work, and I practiced law full time. And I worked for a law firm that uh, defends police officers in civil liability issues excessive force you know officer involved shooting and stuff like that constitutional issues so i, I did that full time um and it was a great experience it was an amazing experience seeing it from that perspective but man i missed the police work i was miserable all the time i missed the camaraderie i missed the work i missed being around the guys and girls that do that job kind of like when you get out of the military mm-hmm. and you kind of like not around that anymore and it there's something missing in your life, Sure. you know, and I remember thinking, shit, you know, am I going to disappoint everybody if I just go back to being a police officer because everybody was expecting me to be this attorney, you know, and ultimately I made the decision that I needed to go back and my police department was gracious enough to take me back where and pick pick up right where I left off, you uh-huh. know, rather uh-huh. than... You know, rather than starting all over and everything like that. I mean, I picked up right where I left off, and that was huge in in my career to allow me to do that because I was easily transitioned right back into being a police officer. I'm now happy, but now I have this huge experience behind me that that I was able to do, and I mean, it ultimately helped me in my career. I was gonna it say did, incredible. Did
1: it change the way you policed? Absolutely. In what way?
2: Absolutely. It so. When you see things, you look at the bigger picture at, at that time. so enforcing the law and
1: knowing the law
2: is it, so the biggest I thing, wouldn't say
1: knowing but understanding.
2: the understanding and applicability, you know, applying what you know is because you got to think that. police officers a lot of times, it, just like in a in combat situation, everything's rapidly evolving. Everything changes dynamically, right in front of you. One thing changes immediately. Police officers have to be able to think that quick to adapt to those situations when it's, you know, a critical event occurring, you know, in front of them, whether it's defending somebody else or defending themselves or, you know, trying to save somebody's life or or whatever it may be. Um, Having that education and understanding and being able to apply those principles helps incredibly. You know, and not only that, but it allows me to have, you know, you are more proficient in your job, you're more confident in your job, the more you know your job. Sure. The better you know your job, the more confident you are in your job. So if I have somebody on the street that challenges me, you know, a civilian that challenged me as a police officer, um, I know what... I can do what I can't do. I'm not sitting there going, mm, if I put my hands on them, am I going to get sued? Am I going to do this? You know, Is this going to happen to me? I don't have to start second guessing everything that I'm, that is about to occur, which slows your reaction time down. Right. Now it helps me be able to, you know what, if I put my hands on them, I'm lawfully justified in doing so, and I'm able to take care of business then.
1: Is that kind of curriculum kind of Migrating over into the academies or the departments, or do you see there's sign of a, there's is it, given present day given present day circumstances and situations that are happening around the country,
2: right?
1: Is that what it, it, it does that does that live inside the academies, or is that well, something that we should probably migrate in there?
2: Well, so it's it's very important that you know even now that we start migrating that into our police it's academies not. now. Well, here's the thing. There's a lot of, right. There's a lot of instructors, especially, so the police academy that I'm at, there are a lot of very good instructors and we have very similar mindset in how we're going to train our new recruits who are going to be taken over for us, you know, as we kind of migrate out of the profession, they're going to be taken over. Um, But there's always something guiding that there's always something overseeing that and they don't always agree so for example our particular police academy is operated out of a college the college doesn't always agree with how we're training our recruits because they look at them as college students they're not college students these are police officers you know and that and then we have the training and standards board which is governed by the state of Illinois which also doesn't necessarily um Fit the criteria that we feel they set bottom, you know, guidelines. They said this is the minimum standard that they have to do. And we're like, no, this we need more than minimum standards, you know, because these kids are going out there and they're putting their life on the line. And the way things are unfolding on the news, and and everything's so, you know, rapidly changing, and so it's it's chaos. The streets don't get soft.
1: They don't get weaker, they get harder. They so if you make the academy weaker and the streets get harder, what you put in there, we were talking about this the other day, like some of these kids never been punched in the face. And the first time <laughs> they get hit and they the see time. their blood going, yeah. you're going to go straight to your gun. I mean, you think you're dying. You don't have any yeah. idea if something's attacking so you.
2: A lot of our, the instructors by us, I mean, that's what we say. We say, and so I know a lot of the defensive tactics instructors that we have, they ask them, has, has anybody ever been choked to the point where they're about to pass out? And there's no, you know, of course, hands go up. I mean, most of these kids still live at home and everything, you know, with mom and dad. And, you know, they'll go up and say, I've never been choked out to the point where I'm about to pass out. That's important to know. Mm-hmm. Because if you're a police officer fighting for your life and you're getting choked and you're about to pass out, what are you going to do? Sure. You can't just tap out and, you know, the, the, your perpetrator or your offender is going to stop. They're, <laughs> they're going to keep going. So at that moment, is that the time to withdraw your gun and shoot somebody? Shoot somebody who's unarmed and say, hey, I was getting choked and I was about to pass out. You know, so they, we ask for volunteers yeah, exactly. and we yeah, say...
1: that's the closest I've ever been to death. Hey.
2: Yeah, right, absolutely.
1: So and they, they don't know if there, there's a difference between someone trying to beat your ass and kill you and, or whip you and get away or scared to death and fighting, and there's just the fight. I mean, the natural instinct. Right. And then, you if you've what? never been in that, being in that situation teaches you that. That's how people get proficient in fighting. Right. That's just how it is. You can see it coming a mile away.
2: But that's not on any curriculum that the state sets. The college doesn't set that and say, hey, okay, we're going to choke our recruits so that way they know what it means. I mean, could you – like, <laughs> uh, right, even now, <laughs> you know, I'm like, ooh, you know. Um, but – or punt, like you said, punched in the face. We pepper spray them, you know. I, well, that's good, but no I one take, out
1: there cares pepper spray. Everyone has – those I, I mean, I mean Trust you know, me, I take great pleasure
2: <laughs> in pepper spraying the recruits. I mean, I, I step in sure, front yeah, of I mean, them. Who and, doesn't, and man? You know, um, it, but you're – they don't get punched in the face. They get pepper sprayed, and who's going to pepper spray them, right? They, but
1: you don't think you can have people signing up for the academy if they knew it was that hard? Like, man, they beat you. And then you know the, the people were like, hey, if you know what these guys have to go through just to earn the right, I mean, even if you go start whipping on them, they're ready for that. Right. Because people sense fear. They can understand it. And it's a little, little feed off of it. Right, so st- stress from the it has to be just it has has to be as equal as what you're going into. If not why don't they? Because I've had that question before. I like, if you set the standards the way that you want them to be set, why don't we do that now? Because like, nobody will show up. Nobody will. Nobody
2: will apply. It. And I, I think that's bullshit. Yeah,
1: what are you talking about? Who no,
2: you'll that? have no, you'll have people showing up, but you'll have a lot more people falling out. And that's what here. Well, so that's a quality over could, quantity
1: thing, and but, that, that's that's how we get in these problems. Is you try to put quantity out there, and people don't understand it. So if you have a smaller amount of quality, isn't that the same as a a, 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 a bad you amount would of think quantity? So,
2: but now add the dollar to the dollar value to that. You spend all cheaper this to have money quality instead of quantity. Well, you spend all this money training somebody, putting the time in, and now you're going to just dump them. Municipalities don't have that kind of money to be feeding into. You know, somebody shows up, they fill an application, they look great, they've you know done whatever they've done in their life, and you know uh, the commission, the fire, police and fire commission says, okay, they're a good candidate to to hire them. So they recommend them to the police department. The police department says, okay, we'll hire them. They go to the academy, and it's like you're a mess. You, you, the, the person doesn't have the mental mindset to do this job. They don't have the skills to do this job. They don't have well, uh, any number of things that we can immediately identify in a recruit and say, mm, you're going to struggle. You know? And then we say, hey, uh, this person is not going to be good. They're going to say, you know what? We hired them. We put the money into them already to get them where Make they are good. right now. Guess what? They'll, they'll, they, 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 they rely on hope. That ultimately they'll get to where they need to be, and maybe eventually they will. Maybe eventually a light bulb will go off and it'll click in them. But how much time is going to pass before that light bulb goes off? You know, and you know, but it comes down to kind of money and how much money uh, departments are willing to lose in that training. Yeah, so you're ultimately. So you willing to spend
1: more to keep them around in the hopes that. that 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 works itself
2: out, a lot as of opposed mi- to a, a lot of municipalities. I mean, reap do what that. you
1: sow, right? If you put some, if you know knowingly put something in there, that's going to be. There's a
2: lot of people that are in law enforcement that probably shouldn't be there. There, there are, you know, whether they don't have the mental capability or the physical capability or whatever, whatever it, that particular department's culture needs for their demographics, they may not fit that criteria, but they're going to keep them anyway. Because what are they supposed to do? Just say, Oh, you're too weak, we're gonna let you go. Um, uh, you don't have the right mindset, we're gonna let you go, but not after spending all that money. They're gonna sit there and hope. Maybe move them to a different job. Maybe move them to a desk job or, you know, school resource job or find somewhere else to shuffle them. Look, the military is not much different than that. I mean, there's I a lot that. of people that are in the military that probably don't belong in there either. You know, they go in there and they let them through. They got past, you know, whatever boot camp they did. and they're not just going to toss them out. They're going to shuffle them around and put them where they need to be until their time's up or until they realize themselves that they're not cut out for that job, you know. But that's, again, that's hope, you know. That's, you're just hoping that that happens. Chances are, you know, person's not going to look in the mirror and then all of a sudden go, you know what, I'm not cut out for this job. It happens, but not too often. I've had kids at the academy come to me the next day after the first day and say, yeah, I'm not cut out for this, you know. Okay. What'd you do before this? I worked in the library. Okay. Good. <laughs> sure.
1: I get, there's the unknown too. I'm scared. I'm like, you know, everyone thinks that while they're going through it and you, you, you hold on to those, but I mean, there's the, you know, the first,
2: I think the first couple of days of boot camp, I was the worst experience of my entire life. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Sure. No, it, the thing is, was that when I went to boot camp, I had prepped myself so much. I was like, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be like. It was, you know, and there were guys that were crying in boot camp. Oh yeah. The oh home yeah. Going and to the this bathroom is themselves? Yeah. Right. I'm going to get out of here, you know, swim across the swamp at Paris Island. And I go, you know, there were guys that were doing that. You know, there were guys that were thinking that or saying that and losing their minds. I'm like, how? didn't you not know what you were getting into when you got in here? I did so much research, showed up at the recruiter's office every weekend for their little maps meetings and you know, I knew I listened to all the audio tapes of of the sounds of boot camp, you know, and we did we did that you too. You know, I did everything I possibly could to mentally prepare myself for that so that way it wasn't a shock. And during boot camp, I spent most of my time laughing my ass off because I thought the drill instructors were f- hysterically funny at this the shit that they were saying. I thought, you know, some of the recruits that were like getting thrashed and stuff. I thought that that was funny to me. The, you know, the games that we played, I thought were hysterical. And they would make make us drink so like a shitload of water because I went through a Paris Saint in August, you know, and it was hot and they were like, you have to drink water. But they'd make us drink that water after chow. We'd have to drink two canteens full, hold them over our heads to show that we drank them. Next thing you know, guys are throwing up. I'm sitting there throwing up too because we just ate and now I'm full of water. I'm hysterically laughing while I'm puking because I thought, this is hysterical. This is funny. Even now, I think it's pretty funny, you know, but...
1: Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, the good old days. Yeah,
2: right, exactly. So, But
1: to my point, I mean, there are people down here that are designed for stuff like that. Right. People down here get sick. People down here never get sick. Right. And And that's, I mean, you can kind of, you see them when you're going through it. And it doesn't make anybody a bad person because they're not cut out for that job, especially if they want to serve. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying... There, there are a lot of jobs out there for people to do, other than some of the that particular one.
2: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. All right, and that's yeah. why we have
1: the, the testing and the training.
2: Right, but like the, you were going back to like some of the training and stuff, we try to incorporate that in our academy as far as that mindset. But there's kind of like you know that duality of you know are you going to be a warrior police officer or are you going to be a guardian police officer, and you know. We, we say we focus on being a warrior police officer because these guys have to be able to defend themselves and other people. But you get a lot of people who look at that and go, Mm-mm-mm, that's not the mindset anymore. We want them to be the guardian police officer. I argue, why can't we be both? You know, why can't I teach my guys to have the proper, you know, warrior mindset, but act as the guardian, you know, educate yourself. So sure. About Sheep, yeah. dog. Sheep, dog. Sheep dog, right? Yeah,
1: like we, right. You're talking about how much you know, wasting money on people. It's one of our citizens. You don't waste a dime on them. Mm-hmm. It's our money anyway. Ed- you've educated them up to a certain point and trained them to a certain point. It's not a bad thing. They're still right. around, even no matter what they go do. They're part of our community, and they have that lesson. They've seen enough in there. So it's wasting money on a citizen training them up to do something that we, in that direction. I mean, I guess you can look at it a bunch of different ways. but Given – let's fast forward a little bit. So given – 2020 just ended, and what a sh- absolute shit show that was across the country in general. I'm sure it was even out out of control in Chicago yeah, as well. Yeah, y'all were putting those awesome numbers. <laughs> then here we find ourselves in the first week of 2021, and the riot in the Capitol just happened. They, 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 Depending on which news channel, you, know, I try to watch them all, you're, depending on which one you're talking about, they're talking either good or bad about the Capitol Police and the officers that were present. Uh, in 2020, all they talked about majority of the time I saw was just negative mm-hmm. feedback about the officers. Is there something that you can share with us that that obviously the media is not portraying, that they give perspective to us that aren't wearing a shield? Because you're te- your you're teacher now. Yes. So I want, I'm asking that you kind of educate our listeners and us included on, um, something we haven't seen, heard, just perspective.
2: There's a lot of things that it it, different from all, you know, police officers that have different demographics that they're protecting or dealing with. Um, it, as far as what those guys are dealing with, I mean, that is, it's chaotic. It is chaotic. And I'm embarrassed at what, Our society has become and what we've allowed, you know, but we now turn around and say we want our police officers to to stop that. And now you having these guys go in there and they're like, wait a minute, we were getting bashed before for taking police action, doing what we're supposed to do to protect people, to protect property. And now they're all second guessing themselves. Yeah, because now what do we do? one
1: that's created to keep our country from going into anarchy was the one that was lynched through 2020. Absolutely. And at, now they're like, where, where are you guys at?
2: Now there's guys that are afraid. And that's what I was saying earlier is that you have one mindset of guys that are like, you know what? If you do anything out there, you're going to get fired. You're going to get sued. You're going to get thrown in jail. So there's a lot of guys that are like, you know what? I'm just treading along, doing my time, and that's mm-hmm. it. But you also have this mentality of guys are saying, you know what? We need to adapt to how things are going. If we as a profession, as a law enforcement profession, learn to adapt to how society, we can't, we talked about this earlier. If I dig my heels in and say, nope, this is how we've always done police work, this is how we're going to continue to do police work, if you do that, it, you're never going to get anywhere. You're never going to advance as a profession and you're, things are not going to get better. But if you adapt to how you do police work, um, you know, educating yourself on more um, you know, mental health things, you know, um, uh, emotional intelligence, understanding why people act the way they act, you know, and those certain things. I could study the law and I could study Fourth Amendment, civil rights, constitutional law, back and forth. But if I'm not able to apply those other skills as far as having emotional intelligence and having, you know, my understanding of mental health, what is all that stuff going to do? I'm going to go out there and not do anything, you know. So that's our, our police officers now are probably the most educated police officers that we've had. You know, oh sure, yeah. Oh, we
1: talk about that too, man. You guys got to know religion, uh, social status, standings, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, drugs I mean? and how they react on people. I absolutely,
2: mean, there's so much stuff that they have to learn, and a lot of that stuff is not stuff that they get out of the academy, but they get it from just street experience, oh, yeah, yeah, getting out there and on the job training. Just get out there and do it, and then you'll learn as you go. Hopefully, you'll be okay. You know, it seems like
1: you know statistically a lot of the the lot a lot of these circumstances that are. Thrust into the mainstream media are young younger officers, not all the time, but younger officers that have, maybe haven't had the opportunity to learn exactly what they need to, and then they get caught in that situation, and like we said before you, you every get, you get slapped in the face, everything kind of goes out the window
2: right
1: do you think we um, we demand a lot out of our officers as a society we do is that mm-hmm. um, and I think that's unfair yeah, without demanding it from ourselves because we wouldn't have to call them if we were doing what we wanted. You know, and to. that's a great
2: statement. I mean, you know, talking about it's like absolutely. It's,
1: it's an ebb and flow. It's like water with us in, the, in that line. It's like, hey, we we want to move with you as well, and then when you get too far out of line, we'll hit you back in there. But then we have to take the responsibilities of ourselves. Like, why would you? Need, why do we need them to come in? right? Evaluate that part.
2: But there's, you know, but we tell our recruits is that when you now enter this profession, you are no longer in it for yourself. This is a profession that is self-sacrificing. You're giving up your liberties for other people's liberties. That comes with the job. And you have to be willing to accept that you know, as a profession, you know, as you know, as your job, you have to be willing to understand and you can't forget it. Because as we go, you know, you get become jaded with the streets, you know, people don't respect you, people curse you out, people do this, they spit on you, they do whatever. And you become jaded, you're like, screw this. But you know what, you can't forget why you got into this profession. That's core. That's your foundation. Why did you get into doing this? because you want a police pension after so many years? No, that's not why you came into this job. You came into this job because you want to help people, you want to serve people, you want to change society. A lot of guys ultimately feel that no matter how hard they spin their wheels, they're not having an effect on anything, you know? But, um, But that's not true, you know? You can change, have an impact on somebody's life in 10 minutes of interacting with them. You don't know how you're you know, changing somebody's life with just a smile, just a wave, or, you know, it doesn't have to be like, I, you know, I had to breathe life back into them in order to affect their life. It could be as simple as a nod, a wave, a smile, sure. you know, it's to change, have an impact on somebody's life, you know, you don't know. So don't become jaded, stay focused on why you got into this job, you know, you got into this job to help people. I'm if saying that want, to,
1: the, to the civilians, don't get jaded you know, smile, wave back, you know, let them know that, hey, you know, you're happy to see them when they're. I mean, it's kind of that same thing.
2: Right. You know, but it, it, but as far as civilians go, they, they, we as a society need to understand what our police officers are going through. Um, uh, but I, there's people that don't care. I mean, they don't, you know. Sure. They're, they're yeah, all gonna, across the
1: board, people who don't want to know because they're going mean, to use they, that as yeah. an
2: excuse to act. You know, that's like why said, y'all exist,
1: people, so they don't have to see that. I get people, that part too.
2: People use, you know, well, I got slapped by a police officer when I was a young kid, so therefore I hate the police. Oh, so that's your excuse to act like an asshole for the rest of your life is because of that? No, the the police. Yeah, he's
1: probably the, acting like an asshole to begin with. That's why he got slapped. I, which, right?
2: <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Absolutely. So it's like okay, but. I'm not here to slap you. I'm here to help you. You called me. I'm here to serve you. So what what do you need? You Don't give me an attitude. I'm here to to kind of, you know, if you need me, I'm here. If not, then I'll go about my business and, you know, you can figure it out for yourself, you know. Um, But I think, again, just both sides need to have an understanding and educate themselves. They need to educate themselves in, you know, Police officers need to educate themselves in, like I said, mental illness, emotional intelligence, you know, that kind of things, you know. Being society's leaders, you know, and not falling victim or falling into the rest of that, you know, what the media is trying to sell you. Okay, that's number one. Number two, society needs to educate themselves more about exactly what the police officers do and why. You know, I, I try to do that. We we host a Citizens Police Academy and you know, we had that conversation a little bit earlier, and that's I try to educate them on why we do what we do. So that way, when you see the news and you see a police officer dragging somebody out of the window of a car, you know exactly, number one, there's probably more to it than that little clip mm-hmm. of the officer dragging him out of there. And you understand why that officer may have dragged that person out of the car. You know, did they see a weapon? Did they see something in there that was dangerous? Did, you know, was a person under arrest and they were refusing to comply with the police? You know? Because ultimately, there's that line in the sand when my commands aren't working, I have to use force. Yeah. And police force is not pretty, regardless of... with it. Go
1: with it. Of, Go with it.
2: <laughs> of, you know, of what you show. You know, me striking somebody with a baton, even though I may have to do that, is not, that doesn't look good. It sure. doesn't look good, you know, when people see that and they're like, oh, there they are again, there are the police, you know, do what they have to do. So helping society understand why we do what we do, maybe they'll view those things from a different perspective and, you know, not be so judgmental on the police. One time we had a, the president of the college that I, that I worked for. Um, was a Navy admiral, a former Navy admiral, she, and it was a female. She was awesome, very military, very, you know, very high up. had had held some very respectable positions in the in the Navy. And um, so during Veterans Day, one time, she had come to me and she said, "Hey, our guest speaker didn't show up. I need you to give, you are know, you're, you're now our guest speaker." I'm like, I'm like, I, what? I can't do this on the spot. Like, she goes, "Yes, you're a Marine. You can do this." I said, "What do you want me to talk about?" She goes. Just talk about your experiences and serving, you know, society, military and police and how that relates. And, you know, I thought, I'm sitting there thinking now, and I'm thinking, you know, when you're in in boot camp and stuff like this, they talk about, like, all these heroes that have gone before you, you know, and you look up to them, and you, you know, you're like, oh, man, you know, Chesty Puller, and, you know, John Bassalone, and Smedley Butler, you're thinking about all these great people, and you... Your whole thing is I want to live up to those standards, you know. Um, Not everyone in the military gets to be in a situation, for example, that you've been in. We don't all get that. But we should all strive to be prepared for that moment because you never know what's going to, you know. So that was what, you know, what I was talking about was that you should always never stop serving, never stop, you know, it's your mission in life to keep on going because that's how you, look, I'm never probably, I'm, I'm never going to be a war hero. My time has passed, my opportunities have passed, but that doesn't mean I should stop what I'm doing. I shouldn't stop living up to, looking up to Chesty Pullers, you know, sure. you know or John Basselon or all the other heroes that we studied. That's not my calling in life, is that I was going to be a war hero. You know, I'm not... Well, what was the, uh, the guy from... Uh... Audie Murphy? No, 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 no. Forrest Gump, right? He's like, I was supposed to die on that battlefield. Oh, you ten, Dan. Lieutenant <laughs> <Dan, laughs> You robbed me of that. You stole that from me. You know what? That wasn't your calling. Right. You were prepared for that. That's awesome. But it doesn't stop there. It keeps on going. And that's what pe- people like myself... Have had to come to terms with. You know, I'm never going to be, you know, the big war hero that, you know, you are or that, you know, some of the other guys are. That's not my calling. My calling is focusing on our civilians that are trying to learn more about the police and the recruits that are trying to be the police. That's my calling. And that's where I apply everything that I've learned, including looking up to all those heroes and applying it to that respect.
1: You know, what's what's some of the what would be a piece of advice you would give somebody off the
2: top of your head? It's like, hey, look, you know,
1: troubling times, trying times. Our country is in a toilet bowl spinning down the drain right now. I mean, from your perspective, what what would you say to somebody? Hey, don't give up.
2: Well, you can't can't give up. Don't believe in what you see on TV. Well, yeah, that Well, There's a whole list of things that I would say is number one, don't always believe what you see on TV. It's the cultural demographics that dictate the enforcement, that dictate, you know, how the police officers are going to act, how they're going to respond, you know. Um,
1: Once you plug into that phone, it's like plugging
2: into one big high school. Yeah. That's right. what that really. is. Yes. <laughs> you know, so it's hard to say, you know, people, I get asked that, you know, what, what do you think about the, what this officer did in, in New York City? You know, what do you think about this police officer that he did? It? You know, I can't bl- make a blanket statement. I don't know. Why that officer did what he did, maybe he had to. Maybe he had the mindset that, hey, you know, this is what I have to do. Maybe he got stuck in that training cycle where, you know, this wasn't working, so I need to, you know, we always say that they get stuck in a rut. If I'm in training at the academy and I'm training recruits how to strike with a baton and I'm teaching them on each other, well, they're going to go half speed on each other. Obviously, they're not going to go full speed, and they're going to submit to each other Right away, they're not going to resist. But the first time that happens out in the street, and the person doesn't yeah. submit, they get in that training cycle. Well, maybe I'm not hitting him hard enough. Maybe I'm not doing something properly. So what do they do? They strike harder yeah, yeah. and harder and harder. Somebody's videotaping them. They see that and they go, "Look at this poor guy who's getting struck by this police officer." Oh, sure. You know, yeah. you know. Same thing with I. I Talk this. talk about this all the time when we ta- teach our defensive tactics with handcuffing. Just something as simple as handcuffing. When we go through the, through the dynamics of handcuffing at the academy, we do it on each other. Sir, turn around. Put your hands behind your back. Bend at the waist. Turn to the left. Okay? And what do they do? The recruits do exactly as they're instructed. Mm-hmm. They turn around, put their hands behind their back. But what happens when they go and do that on the street and the first time they say, Sir, turn around and put your hands behind your back? And the guy goes, Fuck you. Then what? Then what do you do? We don't go that far in the academy, you know. We we teach, you know, because we submit to each other. Yeah. You know, we do we do red man, which is like a oh, we full, got red man. all out, you know. We do that. Um, but I don't even think the recruits get enough of that, you know, of of that stress environment training, you know. Certainly when they go back to their police departments. Which
1: is crazy because that's what the job
2: is. Certainly when they go back to their police departments, the police departments are not going to, again, spend a lot of money doing that in training and the risk of somebody getting hurt doing that. And now you got an officer who's injured that can't do his job, you know. So there's that balance you know so there's a lot of officers that the only training they get is in the academy and then once they get get on the street the rest of it is your street training you know and i'm not making a blanket statement about all police departments of course no sure I mean, yeah we talk about that varying clear, sure. but but there are agencies that i know of that you know you'll ask a, a, an officer say when was the last time you did a certain you know defensive tactics training well not since i was in the academy <laughs> really? That's not good. You know, that's not good. So um, as, as police officers, we have to then maybe train ourselves, you know, educate ourselves, do better, read more, you know. And there has to be an emphasis on that because if I sit here and watch the news and see the way things are unfolding, I need to adapt my mindset to deal with those things. And if it's educating myself more and, you know, on, you know, the constitutional rights of people, then that's what I have to do. If I have to educate my, myself more on mental stability, because that's another big topic now with, you know, a lot of mental illness out there, you know, dealing with people then. If there's somebody with mental illness who may pose a threat to the police, do they deserve to, you know, get shot or killed, you know, and I guess it depends on what's being done. But if I change my response to that, maybe the outcome will be better because I'm able to identify that a lot quicker that, you know, what I'm dealing with. You know, I had a guy one time that we went to a call and he had made a 911 call and, you know, he's like, my wife was just killed, you know, and you know, get over here. So we respond, the garage door's open, we go into the garage and I hear screaming inside. And me and, you know, one of my officers are outside. We're like, well, oh, shit, we can hear him screaming. And he's like, what are you doing? You know, I said, okay, we're going to go inside. We're going to take a look, you know. Um, we open the door and he's standing there, his underwear, covered in blood with a big sword, like a talking Conan the Barbarian type sword. And he's swinging it back and forth. And obviously the guy wasn't in the right mindset. You know, I, well, you what, see give maybe that idea, right? But that's what I'm saying. That was pretty could have been obvious, a that, right? <laughs> um, he's covered in blood because he had just got done stabbing himself with the sword. You know, and so he's covered in blood, and you know, he's like, "My wife's right here. My wife's right here." We're like, "What do we do?" He starts moving towards us, so you know, instead, you know, could we have shot him? Absolutely. He's moving towards us with the sword. He's a threat, but we are immediately identified that he there's a mental thing missing so we backed up a little bit I reholstered my weapon took my taser out my partner kept his gun out just in case that didn't work and we ended up just tasing him you know and I got asked afterwards it was like you could have shot him you know like why didn't you just because we identified right away that this was a mental problem he didn't mean harm on us um so I, my point being is if you're able to identify that a lot sooner, then you could change your response and have m- maybe a better outcome if if you don't identify that mental illness out there or whatever the circumstances may be, it quickly, it could end bad. In this case, it ended fine. We tased him and I was, my only thing was him falling on that sword, so to speak, no pun intended, <laughs> And then getting hurt. But it, it everything worked out good, you know, and we didn't have to shoot him. Could we have shot him? Probably we could have gotten away with it and articulated that, you know, the need to defend ourselves from a guy who's got this sword. I don't know what his experience with that sword is. Was or his wife really or, dead? There was no wife in the house. He had been divorced for years. Mm. It was just him. Just looking
1: for a buddy. A sword. <laughs> I, I,
2: yeah. So, you know, so I guess my, my point being is that educating yourself and being— you know, in like I said, the mental illness and some of the other aspects will change your response to some of these things. You know, if I know that, hey, these kids or whoever it is that are storming the Capitol are not supposed to be here, I don't care if they start screaming that they have a constitutional right to be here or not. If I know that they're not supposed to be there, then they're leaving and they're going. And if I have to use force to get them out of there, then that's what I have to do. You know, it's going to be ultimately what I can articulate is my lawful justification for acting.
0: What's your message for future law enforcement officers who might be worried that there's not enough training or they're worried that there's not enough
2: support from the American people, they're not getting the right leadership? But that's the thing is that that's not true. We do have a lot of support from, I I hear that all the time from people are saying, you know, I don't care what they say on the news. We love the police. We support the police. You know, I've very rarely, now here's the thing. I, I also want to caveat this with, I I do work at a smaller police department. A lot of my experience is because of the training that I do and interacting with other officers that work at much larger police departments. So that's where I'm coming from. So for me to say that, you know, people are supporting the police, yeah, in my particular municipality, they support the police by far. You know, we get that a lot more. Again, some of the other demographics, maybe they don't support the police as much, But you know what? That's not why you do it. You don't do that job because people are going to pat you on the back, because people are going to love you, right? Because they're not always going to love you. Sometimes you have to do things that people are not going to appreciate. You do it because it's your mission in life to do. That's your calling, you know? That's, you know, you put on that badge, there's a lot that comes with that. Discipline, self-sacrifice, you know? Those kind of things that we talk about. I mean, those... That's why you do it. And if that's what your goal is, because you want to serve others and do better in the world, then that's the right job for you. If you're putting on that badge because you want a pat on the back and you want people to be like, yes, you're the police, so here's your free donut and free coffee at the Dunkin' Donuts. If that's why you're doing it, then you're in the wrong profession. Go go do something else, okay? Because that's not why you do it. You do it because it's your calling, it's what you want to do. You know, you want to serve others, whether they want it or not, you know. So, um, as far as the training goes, hey, you can't always rely on others to get you educated or get you trained. Guess what, you have to seek that out yourself. You have to invest in yourself. If there's a training program that I see that interests me, I'll go to my department and I'll say, hey, would you be willing to send this, Send me to this? No, it's too far, costs too much, you know what? How about I'll pay for it, You, and you just pay me on the clock, All right? I'll pay for my hotel stay, I'll pay for that. I'm investing in myself and that has to, that goes along with it, is that investment in yourself. Just something as simple as at the academy, I hear, I go, hey, you got the wrong boots. Those are not street boots. Those are not the boots you have to have. This is what was issued to me. I don't care what was issued to you. This is your career, okay? You want the best equipment that you need on the job, correct? When you're on the street doing the best you can. And you're going to sit there and go, well, my department didn't give it to me. Then go out and get it yourself. Invest in yourself. Invest in your protection. Invest in your education. And don't stop that because if you... Forget why you start doing this job you're going to get complacent and the bad things happen because of that you know you don't want to do that, so I say stay focused, invest in yourself, invest in your equipment if you don't issue if you're not issued to it, and always remember why you got into this job and that's what I would tell all our new officers
0: Great advice, right on bro yeah.
2: <laughs> what's next Well, so we've had things have been very tumultuous up there you know by us um not just with you know some of the riots and stuff like that but we've had to shut our police academy down because of you know spread of coronavirus and you know it's so we've had to do a lot of um modifications we just recently started back up but we're not back to normal we're doing a lot of things that to change we've we've done like online training for police officers i i couldn't imagine that you know like but we have to train our police officers, we gotta get them trained, so that way we could get them back to their departments. So we have to do something, but in this day of coronavirus, we're doing online training, we're doing defensive tactics with like complete masks on, you know, so we don't, you know, how do you train defensive tactics when you're not even supposed to be within six feet of each other? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so we've really had to adapt to what we do. My focus now is going to be getting back and getting things back to normal, you know? Um, and that's, not, that's true for our police departments and that's true for our academies. Is just getting things back to normal and hopefully we get there. You know, they started rolling out the, you know, the vaccines mm-hmm. for first responders and stuff. So a lot of our first responders are already starting to get vaccinated. So that's, I mean, it's a start, you know, as far as some getting back to some normalcy, but it's just a start. I think now, I think we've seen a whole shift in the way we do police work and the way we do things. I mean, we now have police officers that are like maintaining social distance, even in, you know, interactions where, you know, we're used to like putting our hands on somebody or doing a certain thing. You know, we've had to change our tactics as far as that. So, I mean, now going back, it's going to be just adapting to that and kind of hoping we get back to some normalcy, but I don't think we'll ever get back to.
1: No, we're just setting the new normal. The old old one obviously got worn out and we're going through that transition. But think
2: about this. We are a society of, of seeing each other's faces, reading each other's, you know, seeing a smile, seeing, you know, now behind masks, we can't see that. How are we supposed to operate as a society when we can't shake hands? We can't hug. We can't see each other's smile. And I always thought, like this whole idea of masks were hard. That's that's crazy, because we're that's not our society. We need to see each other. You smile at somebody at the store now, and they don't know you're smiling. You know, it's like how how do we operate? You know, where do we? How do we live in that kind of society where we don't do that? You know, we're not used to that. You know, yeah. it's alien for us when we see. Muslim countries on TV and they're all masked yeah, and you know that f- in back in the day you look at that and that made you uncomfortable you know because we're not that society we're a society of seeing each other's faces seeing a smile seeing a certain you know shaking hands hugging how do we not do that anymore yeah. you know it's it's so alien to a lot of us that it's like you know and there's people like I don't care about covid I'm going to do it anyway okay you know, but you know, not everybody's doing it, you know. You go into a store. I, I walk into a store and I forgot my mask and I see everybody like eyeballing me and I'm like, Why is everybody staring at me? Yeah. I realize I don't have my mask on and I'm like, God, you know, now I'm the asshole because I'm walking around without the mask and that's what we've become, you know, and
1: I'm the guy that wears the same mask over and over again in my back pocket. <laughs> Pull out after the wash kind of deal. I mean, how many people do that?
2: But just something as simple as shaking hands, you Hell know. Yeah. That's that's what we do. I mean, that's, you know, we, we hug each other. We, you know, we kiss each other. We do all, you know, we do all these things that now we're not able to do. I don't know. I think that has a large overall, a much worse impact on our society than we think it does. And, and moving forward as far as not having that emotional attachment to people. Well, that's how you show
1: affection. Like you tell people all day that you love, miss, and Ellen, but the way they really know that is, when you, is the affection part.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's the same thing for, you know, the police. You know, how do we see, you know, we can't see their faces anymore. You know, that's, you know, I know we've always been, our agency has always said, you know, we don't want officers hiding, you know, before COVID. You know, we don't want officers hiding their faces. We don't want them. We want them in traditional blue police uniforms. You know, there's a lot of different uniforms that are out there, now that the police wear. No, we want our police officers to look like police officers. That's your job. That's what you came to this job wanting to wear. Not polos, not 5'11 pants. You wear the traditional blue police uniform because mm. you are the police. We want you easily identifiable to the rest of society. We want people looking up to you. Man, that guy's squared away. Look at his uniform. That guy you know, that guy really takes pride in himself. He really you know, focuses on his physical fitness, his well-being. Is that a guy that I want to mess with? Nope. But I'm going to take the guy who's overweight, Shirt's untucked, looks like a bag of shit, shoes not shined, you know. And that's the guy that I'm going to challenge as an offender because I know I could probably get away with it with that burst because they don't take pride in themselves. Well,
1: man, thanks for what you do. Yeah, thank you for your service. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you're doing. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, being a first responder behind that, tell everybody back there, man, we're praying for y'all, and we we back y'all up all the time, man, and especially out here. Yeah, in these tumultuous times, it's good to get perspective from somebody who's on the front line protecting us so thanks for coming down thanks yeah for no spending, i appreciate it thank Bayless. you so
0: much morgan you got a listener story that i think perfectly ties to today if you'd like to share that with everybody
1: yeah it says uh, dear tnq i want to thank you all for your service not only those who serve our great nation in the field of battle but those behind the scenes who serve our nation of individuals identifying with life's struggles your efforts bring hope and promise to many with our nation in turmoil and law enforcement constantly on the forefront of victimization via unacceptable inflammatory rhetoric and falsely labeled a burden to our society, there has never been a more appropriate time to tell the never-quit story of the law enforcement community. This community is compromised of relentless individuals who selflessly take an oath to protect the civil liberties of citizens and dedicate their efforts and lives safeguarding our cities, states, and nation. These individuals, despite a trending national narrative of hostility, criminalization, scorn, condemnation, and abomination toward them continue to honor their commitment of service with unwavering professionalism. Their willingness to answer the call regardless of circumstances or outcome is without obstruction. They do not abandon their fellow man and ungrudgingly shoulder his woes to restore contentment. These outstanding men and women are committed to humanity and without hesitation or discrimination will sacrifice to protect public interest. They willingly accept the responsibility of making life-altering decisions, knowing they will face extreme critics and scrutiny regardless of justification. These officers suffer physically and emotionally, yet refuse to be defeated and overcome adversities with the great fortitude. Their sole drive is their sworn commitment and desire to serve their fellow man and contribute to a better society. The law enforcement community wakes up every day, straps on the never quit attitude and goes to work. They do this not for gratitude or acceptance, rather so others may live and flourish in this great nation. I want to personally thank my brothers and sisters for their dedication, determination and professionalism. Never quit. Signed, Sergeant Joshua Hurdle. It's awesome. Thank you for sharing that letter, and I promise you the the vast majority of us out here, we mimic those thoughts. So we got you back 100%, Josh. You're absolutely right. We want to personally thank all the law enforcement and first responders out there for everything they do, have done, and are doing for all of us who live under that blanket of freedom they provide every day. God bless you,
0: Josh. Yeah, Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. If, if today's message spoke to you or you think it would speak to someone in your in your life, in your circle, make sure to share the episode with a friend. Follow us on social media, teamneverquit.com slash social. You can uh, stay up to date with everything we've got going on, see what kind of new episodes we have going on. We've got some brand new podcast gear too. Check it out at shop.teamneverquit.com. Sam, thank you again for coming. Thank out. You. Thank you for your service. See you guys next week.